Section 90 of Stratagems and Conspiracies to Defraud Life Insurance Companies. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Betty B. Stratagems and Conspiracies to Defraud Life Insurance Companies, an Authentic Record of Remarkable Cases, by John B. Lewis and Charles C. Bumbaugh. Problematical Cases, Part 12, A Question of Identity, Mistaken Identity. The embarrassment which is sometimes occasioned by disputed identification may be illustrated by a resume of a curious and puzzling case in the Western States. A policy written by the Northwestern Mutual Life Insurance Company on the life of Marcus L. Johnson in the sum of $2,000 for the benefit of his wife, Rhoda Johnson, became a claim by reason of the death of the insured, which occurred in May 1869. The amount was duly paid by the company to one George E. Johnson of Leavenworth, Kansas, a brother of the deceased, who was empowered by the beneficiary to receive the money, surrender the policy, and grant the company a legal discharge. The widow, Mrs. Rhoda Johnson, resided in Cincinnati, Ohio. Mr. George E. Johnson, having advanced a sum of money to the widow prior to obtaining the amount due from the company on receiving the money, made up a package enclosing the balance due her, amounting to $748.91, and shipped the same by the United States Express Company from the office in Leavenworth addressed to Mrs. Rhoda Johnson, Cincinnati. Accompanying the package was a note addressed to the Cincinnati agent of the express company requesting him to give personal attention to the matter and see that mrs rhoda johnson received the money and receipted for it with her own hand as mrs johnson was unknown to the cincinnati agent he addressed her a line through the post office requesting her to call at the express office and receive her insurance money in response to this notice she called and claimed the money bringing with her for the purpose of identification letters written to her by george e johnson her brother-in-law and also a letter from the express company's agent in leavenworth the intelligent straightforward business-like manner of mrs johnson seemed sufficiently conclusive of her honesty and the express agent did not doubt that she was the person for whom the money was intended but as personal identification had been enjoined upon him he required her to produce someone known to himself who could vouch for her. This she was able to do, and she soon returned with the local agent of the insurance company who had previously paid to her the sum of $200 which had been sent to his care for her by George E. Johnson of Leavenworth. The sum thus sent was by draft upon the First National Bank of Cincinnati, payable to the order of Mrs. Rhoda Johnson, and the insurance agent having identified Mrs. Johnson at that time she received the money from the bank. This was deemed sufficient. The package of money was accordingly delivered to Mrs. Johnson, for which she gave her receipt, and then went her way. She had not been gone long when Major C. H. Blackburn, prosecuting attorney for Hamilton County, and a lawyer of eminence and ability, called at the office of the Express Company, where he made inquiry for a package of money purporting to contain $748.91 and addressed to Mrs. Rhoda Johnson. 
he was told that the package had been received and delivered to Mrs. Johnson. Major Blackburn manifested surprise at this, as Mrs. Rhoda Johnson was his client, who several weeks ago had placed in his hands for collection from George E. Johnson of Leavenworth, Kansas, a claim for the balance due under an insurance policy, and he had been in correspondence with Mr. Johnson and also with the home office of the insurance company in Milwaukee. A few days previously, he had received by mail a duplicate of the receipt given by the express company for the package addressed to Mrs. Rhoda Johnson and said to contain $748.91. This led him to inquire at the express office as stated. Major Blackburn again visited the express office, bringing with him his client to learn, as he stated, whether she was the woman to whom the package had been delivered, as he feared that she was practicing some deception upon him in saying she had not received it. He was at once told that she was not the person. Major Blackburn was preparing to vouch for his client as being Mrs. Rhoda Johnson, the person for whom the package was intended. She had been introduced to him by respectable people whom he knew and with whom she was well acquainted. His knowledge of her satisfied him that she was not capable of concocting any swindle upon the insurance or the express company, and he was certain that she had no backers, aiders, or abettors in such a scheme. This woman evidently was a weak-minded person, ignorant and apparently poor, being shabbily dressed. She spoke English with a German accent, and in every respect contrasted broadly with the Mrs. Rhoda Johnson who had called for and received the money. The story of Mrs. Rhoda number two was in substance that she was the wife and now the widow of Marcus L. Johnson, upon whose life she had held an insurance policy in the sum of $2,000, written by the Northwestern Mutual, and that she had sent the policy to her brother-in-law, Mr. George E. Johnson of Leavenworth, Kansas, for collection. He had sent to her, and she had received from him, $200 on account, but in default of payment of the balance due her, she had placed her claim in the hands of Major Blackburn. She exhibited letters which she had in her possession from Mr. George E. Johnson. One of these letters was of sympathy and condolence and mentioned having previously sent $200. She also showed a letter from the Leavenworth agent of the Express Company, the substance of which was that he wanted to be sure of her receipt of the money. Notwithstanding the confidence of Major Blackburn in the honesty and justice of his client's cause, the Cincinnati agent of the Express Company felt that Mrs. Rhoda No. 1, to whom he had paid the money, was the legitimate claimant, and that Mrs. Rhoda No. 2 was a fraud. But he at once perceived that the circumstances demanded explanation, and he therefore called upon the insurance agent who had identified Mrs. Rhoda No. 1 and requested him to produce the lady. She was readily found and brought to the express office and confronted with Mrs. Rhoda Number 2. The two were questioned and cross-examined, and their examination elicited the following information. Mrs. Rhoda Johnson Number 1 had been married by Bishop Simpson to Marcus L. Johnson 17 years ago and had had eight children, seven of whom were living. Her husband was a bookbinder and blank book manufacturer and had been established in business in Evansville, Indiana, and Topeka, Kansas. From the latter place he came with his family to Cincinnati, where he remained until his death. When he left Topeka, 
he was suffering from a cancerous affection of his stomach, of which he died more than a year afterward. Mrs. Rhoda number two was married eight years ago near New York City by a magistrate and had two children by her husband, whose name was Marcus L. Johnson. They had lived together for years in New York and Cincinnati. Number one never had been absent from her husband beyond a few weeks at a time. Number two said her husband was a bookbinder by trade, had suffered four years from cancer of the stomach, of which disease he died and was buried in Cincinnati. Both had had the insurance policy of $2,000 on the life of Marcus L. Johnson, and both had sent it to George E. Johnson to collect. They both knew George E. Johnson of Leavenworth. He had visited at both their houses in Cincinnati, and both claimed him as their brother-in-law. Number one explained an agreement between the two brothers, Marcus L. and George E., relating to the insurance. It was that as Marcus was unable to continue the payment of premiums, George E. was to do so, and for this was to receive one-half the avails of the policy for his advance and trouble. In conformity with this agreement, George E. had sent her this package containing $748.91, which was the balance due to her after deducting George E. Johnson's share of $1,000. The $200 advanced to her soon after her husband's death, and a premium note of Marcus L. Johnson for $49 and $2.09 accrued interest. Number two claimed to have received $200 from George E. Johnson, it having been advanced by him to her as a portion of the insurance money. She produced letters from George E. Johnson and a letter from Mr. Somerville, the Leavenworth agent of the insurance company, who was also agent of the express company, which seemed to support her claim. The women were questioned separately and apart, and each adhered to her story without variation or contradiction. Number one offered to produce the photograph of her husband, so accompanied by the sheriff, she went to her house and soon returned with the likeness of Marcus L. Johnson. This picture being shown to number two, she at once declared it to be a likeness of her husband, and she then produced a photograph of a child four to five years of age, which she said was a picture of her son, and in which her attorney saw a strong resemblance to the photographed face of Marcus L. Johnson. As both parties claimed Georgie Johnson as their brother-in-law, both knew him, and he had visited each of them at their houses. It was suggested that the photographs of the two women should be taken and sent to the superintendent of the express company at Leavenworth who was to be requested to see George E. Johnson and ascertain if his brother had two wives and if not, which of these women was his wife. Acting upon this suggestion, their photographs were at once secured, both readily consenting, and were sent as indicated, together with full particulars of the facts in the case. Pending the transmission of these photographs and the report therefrom, the Cincinnati agent of the express company determined to pursue the investigation still further. His opinion had not changed from the first, being fully convinced that Mrs. Rhoda Johnson, who received the money, was the only wife of Marcus L. Johnson, and that the other woman was an impostor. The result of his investigation, as recounted by himself, was published in the Cincinnati newspapers of the day. In the course of his account, he said, Taking with me a detective officer, 
we went in search of the woman who made the claim on the express company and found her acting as cook in a low den of prostitution i took down her statements very fully in writing questioning and cross-questioning her i found her memory very defective as to dates and several material facts my examination was more thorough than at any other time she claims to have had two children one dead and the other in indiana she don't know where her whole statement bears on its face an attempt to swindle concocted by other parties and i believe this woman has imposed upon major blackburn who undertook her case not knowing all the facts this woman has obtained from the post office quite a number of letters belonging to mrs rhoda johnson and admitted to me that she did not know whether they belonged to herself or not two days after the publication of these facts major blackburn informed a newspaper reporter upon reading the card of the express company's agent in relation to the case he sent an officer for his client and had her brought to his office that he then told her plainly that there could be no more lying about the matter she having shown herself to be an impostor he should insist on her telling him the truth of the matter and confessing who had instigated the false statements she had given that she then fully acknowledged her guilty conduct admitted she never had been married to marcus l johnson nor had ever seen him or his brother george e johnson that her name was rhoda berry and a man named john johnson had put her up to getting the letters from the post office advertised for rhoda johnson and these letters she had obtained and shown to him that all she knew of the insurance or of the parties interested she obtained from these letters about the same time mrs rhoda johnson received from major blackburn the following letter office of prosecuting attorney hamilton county cincinnati january twentieth eighteen seventy mrs rhoda johnson madam a thorough investigation of the matter which we have been looking after for some days has satisfied me that you are the legitimate wife of marcus l johnson that the other woman who claimed to be his wife is an impostor and scoundrel and that her conduct in the case has done you great and unmerited injustice i cheerfully make this statement not because she has basely wronged you by her conduct and declarations but because she has so basely imposed upon my confidence by falsehood and fraud very respectfully c h blackburn mistaken identity a remarkable instance of mistaken identity occurred at tacoma state of washington in eighteen eighty nine on the twentieth of may in that year john m poyne a cincinnati detective swore out a warrant for the arrest of w a hedden of tacoma charging him with having defrauded life insurance companies to the extent of fourteen thousand dollars bail was fixed at ten thousand dollars and at the request of the detective examination was deferred for two weeks in order that additional evidence might be obtained from buffalo new york where the frauds were alleged to have been committed hedden could not give bonds and was placed in jail where he remained until failure to identify him as the real offender led to his release strange to say he was taken for bryant a crandall who in eighteen eighty six lived in buffalo and had insurance on his life for fourteen thousand dollars he started for the west and in april it was reported that he had committed suicide the facts concerning the alleged suicide 
were such that the companies concerned paid the full amount of the insurance to the supposed dead man's relatives in the fall of 1887 crandall was seen in los angeles california by a prominent citizen of buffalo the latter reported the fact to the insurance companies they combined and offered a reward of two thousand dollars for the arrest of crandall detectives immediately began to hunt for him poyne in some way learned that crandall had been in tacoma several months on arrival he saw hedden who resembled crandall in a remarkable degree became acquainted with him and went into partnership with him in a land locating agency doing business all over the sound country his height color of eyes beard size and weight exactly coincided with crandall's on the latter's right foot was a scar over four inches in length the result of a wound accidentally inflicted upon himself with an axe when a young man in order to find whether hedden had such a scar Poyne proposed they should rent a furnished room together and hedden accepted the proposition that night when hedden disrobed the detective watched his roommate slowly pull off his socks and strangely enough there was a scar the next day poyne got out his warrant for hedden and was sure of his man after he was lodged in jail more positive evidence was needed from buffalo and daily the wires were used in securing it hedden's photograph was taken and sent to buffalo and word came back that it was the picture of crandall hedden persistently asserted his innocence declared that he owned a farm at lakeview near rochester on which his family were living and that he had gone to the far west like a good many others to make money president fitch of the traders bank of tacoma formerly of rochester became interested in hedden mr bach a merchant of buffalo who knew crandall happened to arrive in tacoma on business at the request of mr fitch he went to the jail to see hedden and said though hedden resembled crandall in a remarkable degree he was not crandall mr bach swore to his evidence but the detective was not satisfied the latter telegraphed to the chief of police of buffalo asking if bach's word could be believed the answer came back that his evidence could not well be disputed this settled the matter in the minds of hedden's friends the same afternoon the counsel on both sides closely questioned hedden asking him fifty or more questions they then telegraphed to the postmaster at lakeview hedden's alleged home and asked him to reply to the very same questions they had put to hedden while the prisoner and his counsel the detective and his counsel were all in the courtroom when the reply from the lakeview postmaster was received his answer to each question exactly corroborated the statements made by hedden and when the long telegram was finished mr poyne the detective and his counsel gave up the case and acknowledged that hedden was not the long-lost crandall the sequel came in june eighteen ninety two when the real offender was captured in los angeles he made a confession to his counsel in which he acknowledged that he was bryant a crandall afterward he admitted his identity and his guilt to a representative of a press association he recited the particulars of his disappearance from his home in buffalo and then said after leaving my hat on the park bench at niagara falls i boarded a train and went to california two months afterward i was surprised and amused one day to learn that my dead body had been found at the falls 
All this time I was sawing wood, as they say. I was literally too. I went directly to California and hired out as a carpenter. I knew the trade well. I had none of the old disappointments out there, no worry, no creditors, and no more trials. I had a very easy time. Then I got tired of carpentering and went to running a stationary engine. I was successful at that, too. I met buffalo people quite frequently, but I had changed so much that I did not think they would know me. My hair and beard had turned very gray. I lost considerable flesh, and my liver trouble made me walk lame. I was somehow betrayed and delivered into the hands of the police. When I met my brother on Sunday, I told him who I was, but he did not identify me positively. He thought I was Crandall, but was not sure. His manner, while in jail awaiting trial, was that of a man who plumed himself on having done a clever thing. He expressed willingness to return to his wife and family if they would receive him, but exhibited no sign of remorse for his desertion of them. End of section 90